This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is, is it Saturday? It's Saturday. It's an early episode of WrestleNomics Radio, Saturday, April 3rd. 2021. And today on the program, we're going to talk about how WWE NXT announced that it has a new deal, and also that's moving to Tuesday. And Ring of Honor Chief Operating Officer Joe Coff has quantified Ring of Honor's viewership sort of roughly in a wide range. WWE has a new deal with DraftKings. WWE has announced that the Q1 earnings report will happen on April 22nd, a WrestleNomics holiday is on the horizon. WrestleMania tickets are still available at Ticketmaster. We'll talk a lot, as we always do, about viewership. Is the female viewership for AEW on the decline? What about Impact Wrestling? What about the rest of the wrestling viewership world? And does, like you think it might, does viewership increase on the road to WrestleMania? All that and more, but first... This TD viewership update is, as always, brought to you by the WrestleNomics viewership sheet, which you can get access to at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. And this week, we even have some Impact Wrestling quarter-hour viewership for January, February, and the first half of March that is also available for patrons. Again, at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. More than 14,000 data points, the massive data set that I use to continuously update and track viewership across WWE programs, AEW, and Impact Wrestling. WWE Smackdown on Fox last week Friday, 2.2 million viewers doing pretty well in the range of what it usually does, but young viewers between the ages of 18 to 34 were up a little bit higher than usual. Then WWE Raw on Monday, viewed by 1.7 million viewers on the USA Network down slightly from what it usually does in terms of total viewership. In fact, younger viewers made up a larger proportion of the audience than usual, and older viewers were actually down here on the road to WrestleMania. AEW Dynamite on Wednesday night, 700,000 viewers, about 335,000 of those in the key demo of 18 to 49, the lowest in both of those categories since January 6th a day that there was tremendous news viewership. And NXT, less than 50,000 viewers behind at 654,000. And even creeping up on AEW in the demo was NXT with about 270,000 viewers between the ages of 18 to 49. Impact Wrestling on Axis on its final Tuesday night, 149,000 viewers. After some initial panic over an erroneous report about what the impact might have done in in viewership and in the overnights smackdown appears to have done its usual roughly two million viewers we'll get a final number as we usually do on monday and now we will be joined by a correspondent of of the wrestlenomics uh network of uh of people once again to guide us through the dark and murky 
uh, <laughs> tunnel that is professional wrestling business. Our friend Chris Gullo, broadcasting not from we, – we need to do a correction from last week. Not broadcasting from Niagara Falls. I am, I am of course, broadcasting from Buffalo, New York. But he is broadcasting from the legendary town, city of North Tonawanda. Yeah, I, and I didn't even catch it last week either. I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in Niagara Falls, I guess. <laughs> you know, so – but, uh, you know, I'm happy to be back, and uh, we have a – Real uh, fun show here uh, with some topics here, and uh, we can get right into it, uh, Brandon. Uh, we kind of talked about it last week, and now it's official. WWE will uh, yes. move NXT to Tuesday nights beginning April 13th on the USA Network. They will. Then we will enter the era no longer We will, will we be in the Wednesday Night Wars era. We will be in the era of wrestling five nights a week, which uh, in this media environment has never happened. Um, maybe in the territories, there were uh, an, an aggregation of five nights of wrestling across the country in, in some markets or something like that, but but not in this era of, of cable TV and so forth. Access is in about half the, the cable homes, um, which is what Impact is on. As we discussed last week, Impact is going to be moving to Thursday to get the hell out of the way of NXT. Um, but yeah, we got the press release uh, earlier this week that... Uh, WWE and, and NXT have announced their renewal of their contract with NBC Universal, the parent company of the USA Network. So it's it's a multi-year deal, and they announced this in conjunction with the announcement of the move to Tuesday. So there's uh, so there's not the, the move that you have to focus on. We want to show you that we got a new deal, and we have no idea what the value of that deal is at this point. Uh, I've, I've been... Uh, asking some people and uh, some people have been asking some other people, but I have not heard any, any uh, insight on what the value of this deal was the current value. So this, this, uh, the current TV deal, which started as everybody probably remembers in September, 2019, NXT started two weeks ahead of, of AEW in those funny weeks there where NXT was, had its first hour on the network, I think. And then the second hour on, on USA or vice versa. But anyway, and then in October, they started to go head to head. But uh, it was a two-year deal, and that is expiring this coming September. And uh, we never got a clear idea about what the value of the NXT TV deal was or is. Uh, There were various reports uh, from Dave Meltzer and from stock analysts, including Guggenheim. Uh, There were other estimates that were made by J.P. Morgan we've heard everything from $30 million a year to $50 million a year to $60 million a year to $70 million a year to 50 to $100 million a year. And uh, I have no idea what to think. I've, uh, when I've made some charts in the past, I've put it at $40,000 because I don't know that that puts it in the ballpark of, of uh, what AEW is, uh, is, is worth on an average annual basis. Tony Khan has made it pretty clear that it's a, that the deal with Warner media slash Turner for AEW is worth $44 million per year or $175 over the, the course of the deal. Um, so NXT has a multi-year deal. The big unanswered question here is did NXT get an increase in its TV rights fees, a lateral movement or a downgrade? I have no idea. <laughs> and, uh, it's, I think it's very, uh, but I think it's interesting to think about how NXT's viewership uh, that it's that it's had to to show this is the viewership that we can deliver. Granted, we're going against the AEW, but here's the viewership that we delivered, um, and it wasn't 
as 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 good as AEW's viewership. It wasn't ranked as highly. Uh, they they do do about six hundred thousand viewers, uh, give or take, uh, these days. They do about a point one four or so in the key demo, which comes out to something like around two hundred thousand viewers, um, which is. I think their median rank on, on Wednesday night is something like in, in the forties. Uh, AEW has been able to finish in the top 10 uh, pretty often on a medium basis. So it, it's really curious to me, you know, how does a program that performs like that, what kind of value can a program like that attract? I, I just don't know. And um, I, I guess I feel that at, at, at the way that things are right now, I think Raw and SmackDown are still in a position where, they're probably going to be able to justify some sort of increase in TV rights fees in, in 2024. And I think um, AEW is arguably way undervalued. And uh, But I just don't know where NXT falls in, in the spectrum of value for, uh, for TV rights fees. Maybe we'll hear something about it eventually, but I don't know. We went two years without hearing anything about it um, for this round, so we'll see. Well, and and I know we uh, we talked uh, last week about you know the NFL deal included Amazon Prime, and I was I honestly in a thought in my head was wondering if they would try to make NXT a Peacock exclusive, um, and that would have kind of drawn some more possibly some more people to uh, getting Peacock and uh, giving them you know a live sports you know in, in an aspect uh, streaming uh, thing every week. Um, but, uh, and obviously they're staying with USA and I mean, it looks like that, that, you know, uh, I mean, USA, I, I, I don't know off the top of my hand, Brandon, obviously, you know, more in it, but I think that performs probably the better than most shows. NXT, NXT still performs pretty well. I mean, they're, they're in the top 50 and, and that's pretty good for a cable program. And it's in non COVID times it's live. I don't I think, I think it's still live now, but, um, as far as going on Peacock, I think if, if I'm WWE, I don't want to. NXT to be exclusively on Peacock. Um, the reach, as much as Triple H in, in the media conference call that we both just listened to before we, we sat down to record this, as much as uh, Triple H and, and WWE executives you know, spin how great the, the reach is for Peacock and then the notion that, yeah, this is going to be in you know, dozens of millions of, of U.S. homes versus you know, the network is only in maybe at best 2 million homes worldwide. Um, the the USA network is still in about 80 million homes. So there's something like 120 million homes in the US. USA network is still in 80 million of them. Peacock is maybe in 30 some odd million of them. People aren't really in the in the habit of using Peacock yet. Maybe someday, maybe in, in a in a future round of negotiations, maybe that's something that makes sense, but I don't think that that makes sense for at least for WWE right now. And uh Maybe NBC Universal would like to have that, uh, have uh, you know more attention to Peacock, but you you're still you still have I don't know you probably have some good advertising to to sell with having uh, NXT on the network. I don't know I don't know if it's more valuable or not with Peacock. You're certainly going to get a larger audience, I think, if you have if you have it on the USA network. I think the viewership for NXT on Peacock would be substantially lower. We would never know because we would probably never get numbers on it, but I think it would, it would result in uh, NXT becoming less viewed and becoming less popular uh, at this point. Maybe it makes sense at a future time, but not right now, I think. 
Uh, not sure if this is their steady Tuesday night lineup, but right now it's just reruns of uh, Law and Order SVU. So it's not like they're yes. they're uh, replacing a hot commodity <laughs> in in, in right. that time slot. Yeah, and that's like all they play in in prime time on U- on USA Network when they're not playing wrestling. Basically, is reruns of SVU, which I've been told is a very profitable airing because they already own this content. It costs them nothing to produce it; they just have to play it and uh, sell advertising against it. Uh, but yeah. Uh, probably a lot of P50 plus viewership there. Um, well, they're also doing a new Law and Order Organized Crime series, which I think I could be wrong is a Peacock exclusive, but I could be it? wrong. Yeah. One thing that's interesting, I think, in, in the course of um, the ones that I awards for the last two years is it was, res- you know, the move from the network to USA resulted in. The you know NXT no longer having its live or first run airing on Wednesday night on the network. Um, obviously, they, they didn't want to. Uh, you know, they're not going to. You know, USA is not going to buy NXT to have it simulcast on on the W network. But that also resulted that that affected everyone globally. Um, so you had all your international fans who were used to watching uh, NXT uh, first run on Wednesday night now no longer had a way to do that, and uh, it has trickled out in terms of you know NXT. Uh, most recently is now uh, on uh, on some sort of cable, I think cable station through through Rogers. And uh, maybe that's happening in, in the UK too. I don't know. I'm sure there's, there are listeners who are yelling because I don't know what, what, the, what the networks are. But um, but I think it, re- it really did um, disrupt the, the habitual viewing that was probably happening internationally, which sort of trickles down to less hype and less social media buzz about NXT that – probably didn't help when um in the other case internationally with aew they they are distributing that through fight for everybody uh if you don't have a carrier in, in your region so i think that was that's sort of an under uh rated story in, in the wednesday night wars is, is it sort of i think it it kind of disengaged international fans and gave them a, a break point and just uh, maybe contributed to a little bit less buzz than there would have been otherwise. Um, before before we move on, any any final thoughts on this? I mean, obviously, we talked a little bit about it last week. I, I think it's a good move on all parties. It's a good move for it. This seems like USA because they're not. It's not like it's replacing anything substantial. It's a good move for WWE. And it's a good move for AEW. It really, honestly, should. You think on paper there should be a ratings increase for both products? Yeah. I, uh, what was I looking at? I was looking at the quarter hours for NXT and for AEW. Yeah, I think this will be good for everybody. The question is, how much will viewership increase for AEW and NXT now that they're not being opposed by another popular wrestling program? Um, I think, so what I looked at was, what's the, let's take the, the peak, or not the peak, or maybe the, the second highest, uh, quarter hour viewership for, either AEW or NXT and compare that to the lowest quarter hour for that same program. Why the second highest? Because the the first 15 minutes are often the most viewed quarter hour of the program because they get a lead in. I think there's just a lot of leftover viewers who are watching yep. law and order who have no <laughs> intention of watching wrestling who just haven't tuned out yet. Um, so, so I take the second highest and, and what I see so I guess what I'm trying to trying to measure there is how many viewers are sort of in this in this flux state where they're 
they're in or they're out, whether it's to look at the other wrestling program or something else on TV. And I think it's going to be a little bit higher for NXT, which um, gels with other things that we've seen where uh, I haven't really looked at any, any of this DVR data, but I, I hear uh, you know, the Observer and the Torch report that you know, DVR viewing for, uh, for NXT is higher by percentage than it is for AEW. Um, and, uh, I th- and, and, it, and it, um, I think we saw that too in September where, uh, both programs were preempted to, to different nights. So w- anyway, what I would expect AEW, I would expect AEW to increase its viewership by about 15 to 20%, I guess. And I would expect maybe NXT to increase its viewership by about 20 or 25%, just because I think NXT has more to gain by percentage here because people have, uh, more so picked AEW over NXT rather than the other way around. Uh, so there's there there are more people who are choosing other things rather than watching NXT uh, live same day, which is the numbers that we look at and talk about most often is live same day. So yeah, I would look for uh, on Tuesday night NXT to maybe do you know seven hundred or six six hundred or eight hundred thousand viewers rather than you know six hundred or something like that. I would look for uh, AEW doing only about 700,000 here, which I think we'll talk about more in a a little bit, but maybe doing something more like uh, 800,000, maybe getting into the 900,000 more often. All right, so we're going to change pace a little bit here, and uh, we're actually going to go to Ring of Honor, which is uh, Mm -hmm. uh, something uh, not always discussed, but uh, Ring of Honor CEO Joe uh, Coffey was actually interviewed on the ROH Strong podcast, uh, and he had some uh, interesting things to say about the viewership of Ring of Honor. And, and here's a quote that he says, we are much higher than people give us credit. Uh, there are probably three to 400, sometimes 500,000 households that watch Ring of Honor every week. He also mentioned in, in that uh, interview as well that they were looks zoning in on a single network TV deal. And then that with the pandemic happened, that's not something that, Right now is in the works, but it's something they could possibly revisit, which when I was on this show the first time with you uh, a while back, a couple of years ago, I brought up like the fact that they're not on the Yes Network is just mind blowing. It's it's oh, just it's, it's because just Sinclair, ass- Sinclair owns the Yes Network now. That's yes, and all the Yes Network shows is Yankees games and the Michael K show. There's nothing else. <laughs> like I mean, There's all these like syndicated yeah. sports trivia, and stuff, but there's there's space there like for them to be yeah. like. And in fact, let's throw it to that clip now. So we have tremendous support from our own company because we believe that the more people can see it, the more people will enjoy it. Yes, we are a little bit challenged by the fact that we don't have a single destination. And one of the things po- you know, pre-COVID was we were actually exploring that to have a, a single night and it's back on the drawing boards. But we have to, you know, we have to think about all of that again. But, you know, interestingly enough, and I see the ratings and the the audience figures of my competitors and some of the other ones that have single location destinations. And while we may not be as high in in reach as those stations, we are surprisingly much higher than people give us credit for. There are probably three to four hundred, maybe sometimes five hundred thousand households So we'll consider those people 18 plus or two plus, depending on how you want to define that for broadcasting terms that watch Ring of Honor every week. It's a big number. Yeah, that is. It's a big number. I mean, when you combine all of the wrestling viewing 
it's 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 big it's sizable is it as big you know again it's it's over different channels over different nights but there's real viewing going on and we go back to what we started with originally of all the wrestling that's presented that way ring of honor is the most authentic professional wrestling presented um so 500,000 households is sometimes he says 3 to 400 sometimes 500 households watching Ring of Honor, that would put it above Impact Wrestling, but below NXT in the hierarchy. Um, That just doesn't reflect the kind of buzz in Google web search, I guess, that I see related to these products. I see Impact Wrestling still getting way more. Maybe that's just got to do with um, Impact Wrestling having this long legacy of being on on a high-reach platform, Spike TV, for all those years. Um, Ring of Honor and, and Impact are about the same age, right? They both started in 2002. Um, back when I was uh, trading VHS tapes, um, but it would su- it would surprise me, I guess, if, if that's really the number. Um, there was an article from a 2016 article, so this is now a five year old article from Media Village that said, "quote Sinclair's station lineup covers more than 41 million households." That would put it on par with Access, in fact, or 39 percent. Of all U.S. TV households, Nielsen estimates that more than 500,000 households watch Ring of Honor each week. Um, I asked Lavi about this, Lavi Margolin, who does the Business of the Business podcast and uh, follows Ring of Honor pretty closely. And uh, he thinks that they probably could aggregate all of their station viewership together. Um, I wonder if they, in fact, do and and if they are tracking that. but yeah, the, the the one thing that he brings up in, in this interview on on the, uh, the Ring of Honor Strong podcast is how they they don't have a a single point of uh, of distribution here. It's it's on various time slots across various networks, so it's not something that I think that really um, diminishes at least the social media buzz that could be around that program because not everybody is watching it at the same time, right? So yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I find that. I mean, he's just he's just saying a number, and there's no real data. I would be uh, fascinated to see the data. I would be fascinated to see how much they are, in fact, tracking the data across all of their uh, different networks and time slots. I mean, if that's a, if that is the case, if it's factual, I mean, it is impressive because I also think they have a good amount of base that doesn't watch it on regular TV and watch it through the stadium channel streaming service that is on like. It's on Pluto, but I think it's on a couple other of those free, all look at all these streaming networks we have sites. And, and I know we'll ring them on our streams or show weekly on Stadium. So, I mean, it, it, if, if all of it is true, it's impressive, but I, I don't know. Like, I just maybe, like you said, the Google Trends. I What I've noticed too with Impact and Ring of Honor is, is you'll see Impact like sharing a lot of the videos and stuff like that. I seem to get a lot of like what's going on in Ring of Honor from the talents. And I follow Ring of Honor as well on social media, but it seems to be the talents when they share stuff. That's kind of how I get to see things, whether it's like a Dan Housen or Dalton Castle or Shane Taylor. Like, I'm, I'm yeah, more than no, what sharing. I would suggest that that's a, an investment thing. Sinclair has always seemed to be very low risk and conservative about investing or taking any sort of financial risk in, in Ring of Honor. It goes back to, you know, I remember uh, when, when the Jim Ross podcast had just come out many years ago and, and, and every – uh, every time he brought Bring of Honor, you talk about the production values. And, uh, but I think, you know, Impact has done a, a very good job with its social media. Uh, Impact and AEW social media numbers 
uh, AEW is at a disadvantage because it's a newer brand that started its social media accounts only very recently relative to Impact. But Impact and AEW are neck and neck on a lot of social media metrics. Um, I just pulled up the, the Google Trends, and uh, you know we've got Ring of Honor. Uh, let's see, over the last twelve months, we got Ring of Honor at a ten. This is just the United States too. I, it, we, the gap would probably be even larger if we went global. But Ring of Honor is is more so a U.S. brand than it is distributed globally uh, versus Impact. So Ring of, Honor, Ring of Honor at a 10 and Impact at a 46 web search in the United States last 12 months. That's there, so Impact more than quadrupling searches for Ring of Honor. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> All right. Uh, we, will, uh, we will move on back to uh, Stanford, Connecticut, to the land of WWE. And uh, an interesting deal was announced this week, Brandon, a partnership with DraftKings, uh, where I believe uh, they're going to be launching a uh, a free play uh, free to play pools uh, that will actually uh, launch for WrestleMania. Yes, I don't know what to make of this. I know that W is a been an investor in DraftKings. I don't know if they still are, but that's something that we've seen in the SEC filings. Um, these free to play pools. Have you ever? Do you know what this is? Is this like a a, a football pool it, it, with your friends? It, it, it's it's almost like uh, you know they're gonna hey sign up and I think they give away like a prize but you have to be like the best out of probably hundreds of thousands of people that are enter this and uh, it's really to get kind of people hooked into there where they start playing the actual pay to play I mean one of the big things DraftKings did back in the day was to give you like a free five dollar credit or they'll match whatever you put in up to hundred bucks that's what they used to do. I'm not sure if they still do it, but I tried it once, did it, matched it up to 100 bucks, played fantasy football a couple weeks, broke even, and then just called it a day. I never lost any money, but I was like, I'm not a big gambler. But uh, it, it it's kind of, it, but the, the the whole aspect of betting on wrestling, and that's probably why it's going to be just a free to play thing, because <laughs> betting on wrestling is some gray area there. But I know it's been done. I know it's. I've done it. Uh, yeah, there's they put lines out there all the time, like who will win the yeah. Royal Rumble so, and stuff like that. And I believe, WWE I did a fantasy article. game years ago, oh, too. Okay. I believe uh, Sportico reported on it that there's there's no they're not gambling, they're not uh, doing, they're not offering bets on uh, match results. But uh, I I have and I haven't done it in a while. I I started this like many years ago, and I've, I've I don't know, I've probably made like maybe ten bets on WWE pay-per-view matches. They would always do paper. Everybody knows, you know, they put out the lines for every pay-per-view, the favorites and the underdogs and so forth. And that's often seems to be basically spoilers because those are, you know, based on the betting lines, those are often correct. Um, so I've never lost a, a bet in my 10 bets. Cause I would always like, give me the most obvious match here, <laughs> but now, so I did this through um, a website called five dimes, which is now I think folding or something. And uh, they're, they're, I need to recover my uh, my balance. So they they're, they're, they sent me a postcard a while back. I have until September 30th to recover my balance. So I, I better do that soon. It's been on my desk here. So <laughs> I need to do that. Um, but I don't know. Who, what is this worth? I have no idea. I imagine it will go under the consumer products product licensing line of revenue for WWE. Um, if WWE is still an investor in DraftKings, obviously it's in their interest to uh, to promote that brand. And uh, I think there's there's a, f- a fair amount of um, of interest in, in in doing some sort of uh, gaming or gambling thing with uh, with 
with WWE. Um, that seems to be something that the people in the sports business world are excited about and think there are opportunities around. Um, I'm curious, like, why not why not start offering uh, bets on on the match results? I wonder if they're hesitant or if they think there's some sort of liability around the match the matches being a, being a work and maybe smart money coming in and you know working everybody. Well, it's because DraftKings has official deals too with sports like uh, leagues. And where we're like, you can go to like a bow dog or something like that. And, and you can bet on, you know, will Brock Lesnar be in the Royal rumble where those aren't officially licensed with the sports leagues and all that DraftKings, I believe. I mean, I, it, it's either DraftKings or another one. I mean, there's an NFL deal and then, and, 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 and you know, major league baseball deal. I mean, there's deals they have. And I think because wrestling isn't technically sports allowing that kind of then gets people going, well, okay, well, is this on the up and up? And it, I think it just causes unnecessary attention from probably uh, uh, people that would investigate if, if everything is on the up and up with the gambling on, on the wrestling side of things. I've reordered our topics as you may have noticed. Okay. All right. All right. Yes. I, I have seen that here now. All right. So uh, we will, we will uh, move on to another uh, uh, topic here uh, with WWE and uh, the, Quarter one earnings report will be announced for April 22nd. So a couple weeks after me, we'll kind of get an aspect of uh, what the first quarter uh, entailed for WWE. Mm-hmm. And do you know what the beginning date and the end date of the first quarter are, Chris Gall? And I, I do not have that on top. I know you, I think you sent maybe sent me something with that, but I do not have that. Or Q1. Well, well, think about it. Q, Q1, first quarter of the year. How many months is that? Okay, yes. So that would probably be January until March, I would imagine. Yes, right? Three months. Beginning of, beginning I, of January through, through the end of March. Yep. I just know other business year, like some other businesses do their financial years different. I used to work at a company where the financial year started in November. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, WWE used to have its fiscal year begin in April. Uh, they stopped doing that in 2006, I think, though. They transitioned in 2007 to a calendar year, fiscal year. Um, so this will not have any... WrestleMania information in it. Um, this will, again, be on April 22nd, the Q1 earnings report, or as some of us in the business call it, the quarterly WrestleNomics holiday, uh, where uh, it's now, un- unlike in the Barrios era, it's not in the middle of the day as the market is actually trading. It is after the market closes. They release the information. Market closes, I think, 4 or 4.30 p.m., and they, they release the information about 4.30 or so. Like They really cut it close these days. And uh, then they'll do the conference call at 5 p.m. Um, and I, uh, so I don't necessarily have to take the day off of work anymore. I can just, you know, go home at the end of the day and, and uh, get caught up on this. But um, there will, will, what will we learn from it? Um, first of all, it is now April 3rd as we record this. And WWE has not released its proxy statement. It has not released its form for or it's form 14A. Can you believe that? They have not released the proxy statement. Aren't you outraged, Chris Gull? In every single year, going back to going back the last 10 years and more, I think, they have released their proxy statement uh, in the month of March. I, and, and often very early in the month of March. And I marked my calendar. I, I have a Google calendar and I marked a long strip where I thought, you know, okay, based on where the date that it was released in previous years, it's going to be released sometime in this range of dates. And that range of dates is now weeks in the past. It is now April 3rd. March is over with. 
and no proxy statement. This I have I have emailed politely emailed the folks at WWE Investor Relations. I have CC'd the folks at Media Relations because they want to deal with me and not Investor Relations. That's okay, and I've gotten no reply yet. Um, they must be busy though. I know it's WrestleMania season, so I'm sure they're extremely busy. But usually the proxy statement comes out at this time and it does not come out at this time. And this is uh, very discomforting for people. Well, for, for me mainly. Uh, what is a proxy statement? I know you're, you, you all probably know this, but a proxy statement is uh, basically we get a lot of information about the about executive compensation. Most especially is the most interesting part of that. WB, uh, I think this is sort of standard for publicly report, publicly traded companies. Is you, you have uh, top five officers, which I think is just based on compensation. And they report... What the comp, the, a big compensation breakdown table for uh, what everybody was paid. And there's uh, information about ownership in there too. That's interesting. Uh, the, the biggest owners are, are always listed, which, in, which include financial institutions. And of course, Vince, Vince McMahon and Stephanie owns a, a large portion of shares also. Um, so it, it, it's, it's just a surprise that that has not come out yet. And I don't, I don't know what the deal is. And I don't really know what the requirement is as far as, is there a time limit at which one has to release the proxy statement? Is there, is this a COVID delay? I don't know, but I'm sure everyone is upset about this. So we will uh, keep you updated. Possibly a delay with all the deals that have happened, honestly, within the last uh, few months. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that, that, of course, I know you're excited for that day, uh, April 22nd, and we'll get some information, uh, I think even more further information about Peacock and uh, you know, that deal and uh, all these other deals that have kind of made around this time, right as March ended. Uh, so th- th- that should be uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. We probably won't get any, any information about that, but, but what we will get is. Um, I mean, you have to be honest like, with the stock investors of, Hey, this is what we got for the first quarter from Peacock, you know, they'll, they'll, well, they'll report. So WB is a publicly traded company. And they, I don't know the rules, but they probably have to report, you know, a breakdown of their finances, but they don't report yeah. details of particular deals. Okay. Um, sometimes that gets leaked into the media. And, uh, you know, for example, we know that the Peacock deal is worth $1 billion yes. over five years, but that's because of the Wall Street Journal and, and the Sports Business Journal reporting that. Now they're probably getting that information from either or both of WWE and NBC Universal. Um, but that is not uh, that's not something that WWE reports publicly or is reported or report publicly, and they probably don't want, even want to do that because they don't want to. Uh, I mean, they could, but they don't want to create a uh, a standard of oh, okay, you're reporting this, so why aren't you reporting this? So, uh, but anyway, we will get uh, Christina Salen, who's the the WWE chief financial officer and has been since August. She said on the last call, which was for Q4, which was in February, this is when this was communicated that uh, the biggest period, biggest quarter for revenue related to the Peacock deal will be Q1 because of the transfer of IP and of, and of user data or something like that. So I don't know if that's because there's some sort of big upfront bonus at the beginning or if there's some sort of payment for costs that are related to transitioning this. I mean, there was no automatic migration, so I don't know what's going on here. But but that's I need to, to sit down and before April 22nd and – I will do an estimate uh, of of what each line of business will do. It's my will be my prediction slash estimate, and uh, 
So I would expect, you know, usually what happens is in these TV deals is the standard thing is the each year you get you get paid the same amount per episode or something like that. And then once that first year is up, let's say it's a five-year deal like this Peacock deal is or like the Raw and SmackDown deals are, once that first year is up, then you get a 10% increase per episode and so on for each year. And that's that's when we talk about these guaranteed escalating TV rights fees or broadcast or media rights fees, that's that's an example of what we're talking about. Now, I don't know for a fact that there's 10% escalators in any of these deals, but that's my, you know, that's a, a decent estimate, I think. Um, so it's surprising that Q, the first quarter of this Peacock deal will be the biggest revenue quarter. So I don't, I don't know what the reasoning is there exactly, other than the, the sort of vague details that were given on the conference call last time. Um, so that's something that I'll consider when I sit down with a, with an Excel spreadsheet and do the math. Um, what else will we learn? I th- will get some, some more information about what the, the media operating expenses are, uh, to produce, uh, core content or to. The media operating expenses will encompass all media, uh, which would include TV production of Raw and SmackDown, NXT, of reality television shows. If that happened in Q1, I don't really remember, but um, anything related to the W Network is included in that. Also, any media operating expenses related to advertising and sponsorships, etc. But what we found last time was that uh, Thunderdome appears to be more expensive than the expense related to producing Raw and SmackDown per episode in the pre-COVID touring days of Raw and SmackDown. Uh, so we'll get uh, probably some affirmation or, I mean, they, they, as much was said by W executives on, on the conference call confirming that, but we'll get uh, some additional information, get some, some you know, an additional data point to, to look at related to that. Um, well, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see, are they going to, Give a Q1 update on on average paid subscribers or anything like that, since there's now been, we're now in this interregnum, this overlap period, uh, which will will still be going on at the very end of the quarter on March 31st, from March 18th until April 4th, the W Network and Peacock will both be providing access to to W Network content. So there's probably a lot of people who are, you know as of March 18th, who have access to Peacock and canceled or didn't renew their subscription. So that'll be really interesting. And then there's, I think, just a really big question that, you know, about how an investor or analyst or a wrestling pundit is going to evaluate the success of any of this content or any of this value that W is providing to Peacock. Are we going to get any any performance type metric? related to, to Peacock? Are we going to get an, an idea of what the viewership of W pay-per-view content is on the network? I would be mildly surprised if NBC Universal lets W report that kind of information. Um, this is a manual migration. This is not an automatic migration. So I don't know how you can say uh, W provided X number of subscribers to Peacock when it's, an, it's a manual migration. And when you've got a lot of households that just got automatic access because they were Comcast customers, for example, mm-hmm. so they automatically got access to, to Peacock. And I think, that's, I think that's the biggest reason, I would guess, for, for the manual migration, because if you automatically migrated all the W Network users, you would, you would end up um, double billing some people for the same access essentially if you turned every w network subscriber into a peacock subscriber unless you could sort the the comcast customers from the non-comcast customers you would uh you know you'd be giving some people to comcast or, or two peacock subscriptions uh probably a lot of them without realizing it and you'd 
probably cause a lot of uh, customer service issues that way. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, will there be questions too? To get really deep in the weeds here, will there be questions too about a stock buyback program that was paused uh, at the beginning of the pandemic? Any news on whether or not WWE is going to resume that stock buyback program? Um, <clears throat> because do, do, are you familiar with with stock buyback programs, Chris Gullo? Uh A little bit, the, the, the bare knowledge, but I'm just finally getting into stocks as as a thirty oh. as a thirty three year old man. I'm just kind of starting to look at some some stocks in some certain areas and stuff, and really having conversations with other people I know. So, what are you, you going to buy? Bitcoin. No, and then not Bitcoin. A lot, let's, a lot of growers' uh, stocks are trending up, but also just looking for really steady stuff, so like Vanguard International and stuff like that, like very steady. Vanguard, a, a, an investor in WWE, but they're one of the biggest mutual fund firms. Yeah, mutually, yeah. So, um, <laughs> stock buyback program is basically when a uh, a company buys its own shares thus increasing the demand for the shares, thus increasing the price of the stock. It's a way to, for companies to um, increase shareholder value. Um, w has tons of cash on hand. W's free cash flow is really, really high. It's, I think it's high as it's ever been. Um, so why why not, from a purely capitalist standpoint, why, why are they not uh, resuming the stock buyback program? Um, I've heard that there's a lot of internal debates about whether or not they should resume the stock buyback program. Um, maybe it's a Vince McMahon thing where he doesn't want to do it for some reason. But uh, yeah, I, I've uh, I, I can imagine there being some investor um, investors wishing that they would resume that program. Uh, I'm sure there'll be other stuff where we'll talk about it more as April 22nd, the first of four. Well, I guess it's really the second, but the next quarterly WrestleNomics holiday, we will talk about it more as it approaches. All right. Uh, well, uh, moving on here, uh, we as we are recording this, we are a week from WrestleMania, two nights uh, in Raymond James Stadium, and uh, you have an update on uh, WrestleMania tickets, isn't that right, Brandon? I guess. Um, <clears throat> so I was told by somebody this morning that WrestleMania is now really close to being sold out or at least close enough to being called a sellout, whatever that means. Um, if you look at Ticketmaster, though, there still appear to be a number of tickets available. Um, it looks like there's, at least as of Thursday night, there were about a thousand tickets available for both Saturday and Sunday. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I guess, you know, again, this is not a Q1 thing, but this is a Q2 thing because this is in April and Q2 report doesn't happen until the summer, July or August. So we'll get some idea probably in the past in non-COVID years, this is different, but in non-COVID years, W has always reported the average and the total number of tickets sold in North America and internationally. So I would think uh, in Q2, these two WrestleMania events are liable to be the only events with paid fans there. So uh, we'll probably get some information in July or August about how many fans were, were there and were paying, probably rounded to the nearest hundred or something. Um, so we'll see. I, I could see as well, uh, WWE giving away a lot of tickets to first responders and hospital workers. That was something that happened in this, for the Super Bowl, sort of rolling them out there and waving as, as Hulk Hogan and Titus O'Neil come out and, and introduce the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the event. Um, it's, it's interesting. The, uh, 
the Andre the Giant Battle Royal has been announced for SmackDown on the Friday rather than being a part of the event. I think they're really looking at um, the first thing that gets to be in front of fans is a big deal, and they don't just want it to be a Battle Royal or something, or they don't want to have to include that. I don't think there's going to be any pre-show matches. No. Just, you know, they're going to probably let, let, let this thing kick off with uh, Real American. <laughs> uh, I, I, I do or find maybe, it like- or maybe. Or maybe the Nigerian drum fight match. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> the, uh, the, the ticket sales thing is very interesting to me because uh, this week uh, there was a, a few different independent shows that are running during that week that were kind of discussing that they currently have low ticket sales. So, uh, and I knew I had a feeling this was going to happen. And it's one of the reasons why I will not be in Tampa Bay. COVID was the biggest reason, but because I didn't even, I didn't know if I would have the vaccine by then. Now I do. Um, but, uh, have you had two yeah. doses? One dose or two? Second dose on the 17th. So second dose on the, on the 17th. On this April month. 7th. Yes. Yes. On April 17th. Okay. And then I'll be officially fully vaccinated. But uh, I just I got, knew I got, that, I got number one yesterday. Did you? Oh, nice. I, I, a lot of my friends are actually getting number one today, actually. Um, but uh, I do know that with, well, at least in my opinion, with WWE was kind of delaying how many seats they were going to have in this and that, it really dictates the whole business of the week and weekend for the non-WWE properties. And I think by them kind of holding out uh, when they were going to sell and how many tickets were going to sell, I think it hurt the business of the independent shows and the conventions that are still going to run. I mean, I have not seen no event this year that wasn't scheduled for last year. Like, like you know, or vice versa. Like, it's it's going to be interesting to see attendance figures uh, for all those uh, shows that are running and conventions. Mm-hmm. Sure will be. And then from there. All right. So uh, yeah, then from there, uh, we're actually gonna we're gonna change things up and go to all Lee wrestling. And uh, you have an interesting topic that you want to explore here that that we discussed. Uh, the female. Uh, well, well, first off with this, is Kenny Omega chasing away viewers as we have a uh, 700,000 uh, viewer mark for this past Wednesday night? Is Kenny Omega the cause of that, Brandon? Now, I have to warn you, Chris Gall. If you, uh, if you en- end up doing more of these WrestleNomics radio episodes and you become further associated with the WrestleNomics brand, uh, just, just to warn you, you may, you may have your Twitter mentions flooded with... <clears throat> With various people, individuals, many of them anonymous, who <laughs> have strong opinions and look to the data uh, to affirm those opinions. Uh, the philosopher Frederick Nietzsche once said, uh, you can stare into the abyss long enough that eventually it stares back at you. And, and you can stare at the spreadsheets, or, or they don't look at the spreadsheets in all likelihood. You can stare at, at the graphs and the, and the charts and the tables that I tweet, and eventually you can see them staring back at you and telling you yes. Kenny Omega is an anti-draw. And then you will quote tweet me and uh, I will have uh, many, many uh, <clears throat> enthusiastic notes to read as the night goes on whenever I tweet these uh, ratings updates. <laughs> Just in, in, in this, this ratings talk, it's, uh, it, I don't know, it's interesting that, that AEW is down to this extent and maybe that has something to do with the Revolution pay-per-view and I think what, what that, the ending of that main event meant, meant to the brand and that, the explosion that didn't come off as well as it was supposed to. Um, but I think, I think people think that wrestling economics, you know, they, there's a lot of micro analysis of a viewership that I see. And I think people think that 
you know, these, these sort of numbers, you can you look at them like, like, like stocks, if you were doing day trading or something as if, you know, day trading actually worked for anyone except for like the firms that have the most sophisticated supercomputers. But I think in wrestling, like in real investing, short-term investment almost never works. And, you know, people think that in wrestling, you can prove or disprove the success of something in the course of a single night's creative. You can prove the, the success of some star or some angle or some program in the course of a single night's creative and in the course of, you know, one week's or a few weeks um, viewership numbers. And, and I think there's people inside the business at, at every level that are kind of uh, use that kind of thinking, not just, not just the, uh, the quote tweeters. Um, but I, I think they think that like a, a higher number validates the program and a lower number invalidates it, but it's, but it's muddier than that. And I think relying on that line of thinking uh, will reduce a company to a business that sells nothing but short-term highs and that needs sort of ever more potent short-term highs over time in order to, to, to get high again, to cause any effect to their business positively. Um, gradually, you know, the sort of the, the old gimmicks and the, and the, the legends and the angles that you do become less and less effective when you rely on that sort of strategy. And whether it's the absurdist comedy of, of modern U S indie wrestling, that gets a lot of interaction on Twitter and you can see the numbers, the views, the video views right there. You can see how many retweets it gets, but I'm not sure that it sells tickets so well or, even if we're talking on a higher level, the absurdist gimmickry and the worship of nostalgia that uh, WWE and even AEW rely on sometimes, uh, that too. And the, the temptation to, to use that kind of stuff is strong uh, because you can immediately see some sort of result from that, whether it's a social media engagement number or whether it's we popped a number on Legends Night on, in January. Look, it was, it was the highest rating we, we had in, in X number of months. So the numbers are there and you can point to that, that short-term high and say, see, this is a draw. We brought Hogan back and he's a draw. And then the, the alternative, which is, you know, maybe these younger wrestlers who, uh, you know, I'm not sure about, you, you might otherwise invest time and energy in them, but they don't seem to be uh, the ones who can pop that number. Like, like Hulk Hogan can, or like Masala can, when, you know, you got Marafuji as your, your champion, but uh, the houses are falling. And, uh, but you know, we put the belt back on Masala and we're drawn again, at least for a little while. But I think that's, you know, that's a false economy. Um, popping a rating one time isn't that hard. All it takes is hot shotting the return of some legends. Or <laughs> I was waiting for that word hot shot in the territory. That's what I was waiting for yeah, that or, phrase. You know, getting a bunch of, uh, of retweets and likes is great. And it has a certain amount of value. And you can um, make funny memes that people love to share. And that get, gets spread around a lot. But does that make people more likely to hang on to a video subscription or to become a loyal viewer of your program or, or does the alternative sell more tickets? It's hard to create long-term interest and to do the things that are, I think, I think required to, to take, to uh, create long-term interest and to build stars because and that takes discipline. It's uh, something in wrestling patience that we're not necessarily taught to have. We're, we're taught to get like instant reactions and react to them. You know, wrestling, I think, is a long-term business, and uh, it takes time and sacrifice and patience and trust in your talent to truly create stars. Uh, it takes little or no return on that investment. It takes waiting that out for months or maybe a year or more until it pays off. Uh, for many 
uh, decision makers and, and wrestlers too. We are tempted by this sort of quick high and this high calorie, low nutrient burst of energy that revs you up for an hour, but it leaves you crashing pretty soon. When you could have spent that time investing uh, more energy on something that would have benefited you more in the long run. So the alternative seems like a gamble and it is, but is it really a bigger gamble than, you know, relying on, I don't know, the return of legends or hot shotting stuff or doing cool angles that uh, eventually mean less and less. The business has relied on legends, frivolity and irony for about a decade. And I'm sure it's protected everybody's ego, but in the meantime, the products of many companies, including WWE, have gotten less popular. It's a false economy, and I think it's one of the real persistent challenges that wrestling faces is that you have to make long-term investments, and it seems like those long-term investments aren't immediately paying off, and it's easy to abandon them, and it's easy to go and rely on the pat hand again. But um, <clears throat> the latest, uh, I don't know, topic of interest is, so this is interesting because Kenny Omega um, is obviously on AEW, but he's also been making some very short appearances on Impact Wrestling. And uh, the viewership, the female viewership for, um, and this doesn't just, this does, just doesn't concern Kenny Omega, but, but the AEW program overall. The female, so we, we have various demographics. We don't have every imaginable demographic to, to discuss here, but we do have female 18 to 49 for one thing to look at. And female viewership 18 to 49 for uh, AEW has uh, declined since the new year. Um, I can, I'm probably going to put out a, uh, a, a notebook for, uh, patron subscribers at, uh, patreon.com slash which will include a chart that will illustrate what I'm talking about here. But F18 to 49 has declined, uh, since the new year. Showbiz Daily also reports the F1234, which is a much smaller sample probably just because it's a smaller audience. And that for whatever it's worth, has has appeared to decline as well uh, since the new year. Um, but uh, Kenny Omega is also appearing on Impact, and uh, let's let's just dis- discuss that first. Um, is AEW's uh, involvement with Impact coinciding with a decrease in viewership, or if not a decrease in viewership overall, a decrease in female viewership? And the answer is generally. No, but there's something interesting happening in the last two weeks. So in F18 to 49, uh, viewership is down to 1,000 on the 23rd and 4,000 on the, on the 30th. Um, after, after throughout, let's see, February and the first part of March, it was up to 14,000, 8,000, 23,000, 15,000, 10,000, 16,000. Again, last two weeks, 1,000 and 4,000. Uh, so female viewership, 18 to 49, has declined in the last two weeks. Um, so that's interesting. Again, as we get to these programs that have lower and lower viewership, the the volatility, I think, increases because the samples become lower. You know, the, the, the samples that we're using to project these actual numbers um, get smaller, so the numbers become more volatile. But anyway, in terms of let's talk about Impact Wrestling, this involvement with AEW, how has Impact Wrestling's involvement with AEW affected its viewership? If we go to monthly averages, which we can do for March now, because March is now ended. Uh, March was not a good month for Impact viewership. Let's talk about total viewership. 144,000 viewers averaged for March. 
that does not include the erroneous uh, report from Showbiz Daily in the comments section of this past Tuesday, where they reported something something well below fifty thousand viewers for uh, for impact. I think they were just referencing. Um, they were just referencing the impact in 60 program that plays old matches that come on after impact. But anyway, 144,000 viewers was the average in March for impact. That is, that is down substantially from February where they were doing 172,000. Um, so, uh, that, that March number though is still higher than the November number, which is the month just before, uh, Kenny Omega started to show up and AEW people started to show up, which was in December. So uh, November did 137,000 viewers on average. And this month in March down, but not as bad as November. Now throughout July, August, and September, uh, AEW was doing 150,000 viewers or better on average. So that number in March is lower than that, that number in the summer. But uh, not uh, it's not as if, oh, they've, they're definitely down. Now we'll watch. And, and if in, in April this continues to decline, then I think we have a, a trend to to observe but uh i'm not seeing that yet and so that's total viewership but if we look at the advertising demographic of 18 to 49 uh even in this month of march 47,000 viewers on average in 18 to 49 47,000 and that's up substantially from any month july august september october november and uh it's it's down from december january and february where they were doing 53,000 58,000 59,000 Again, down to 47,000, but that's still higher than July, August, September, October, November, where they were doing 40,000, 43,000 at best, or into the 30,000s. So so Impact has improved its younger viewership, it appears, coinciding with this time in which they've been interacting with AEW. Um, <clears throat> what about female viewership, though? Female viewership is now at 10,000 in March, which is about where it was in the summer. Um, yeah, so... It's it's interesting that these last two weeks have been so low in female viewership. We'll continue to monitor that. If yeah, if there's if there's information. By the way, this is information that's not reported by Showbiz Daily that I was uh, able to get a hold of. So we'll we'll see. I don't know that I can always get this kind of information, but uh, that's that's the story. Now I've got quarter hour viewership in here as well. <laughs> so when I look at the quarter hour viewership, I uh, quarter hour viewership I think is hard to read and it's opaque uh, minute by minute viewership would be better, but um, I don't see when, when the AW segments come on uh, that the viewership is, is declining worse than it normally would in the same position. So I'll, I'll put that in the notebook too. So everybody can see that sort of, it's not every week of, of, of the new year, but it's most weeks since the new year that I have core hour viewership for with, with, uh, with labels saying this is what was in the segment and I have times showing where it's where where the segment changes to something else but i don't see uh now you can make some sort of larger macro argument about how aew's presence on the show is minimizing the the star power and importance of the impact brand and the associated stars because AEW's coming in here and sort of uh you know big timing everybody you can make some sort of argument along those lines and then you could argue that that's what's contributing to the lower viewership here in march but it's not as if you see this instant reaction uh, so I think it for impact, you talked about the overall ratings in the summer were, were, were for the most part pretty good. And I think that was that was a time that all these WWE guys that were released could show up. Oh, they, they could show up. It's July. They could show up here in the August, September. 
And then when the AEW deal happened, yes, Omega's there, but you saw the social media buzz. Oh, is, is John Moxley going to come wrestle Sammy Callahan? Or is, is, is oh, are we going to see Jordan Grace uh, and, and Thunder Rosa? Like all these dream matchups that the fans were like buzzing about. And, and 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 none of it has come to fruition right now. It's just Omega and the Good Brothers pretty much having that 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 back and forth. And Don Callis, it's one angle. And I think fans were kind of ready for that surprise factor of who can show up and impact. And when it didn't happen, they just kind of tuned it out. Um, and then from there, not all right. So, yes. Uh, so you know, we so we'll go back from impact to. To, to AEW, and uh, so we kind of talked about the female viewers. Do you think that the violent content is chasing away the female viewers? Um, so specifically about the Britt Baker and uh, Thunder Rosa match, um, I don't think so. Uh, I know I know that female viewership for that match, as well as male viewership, grew as the match went on. Um, did the exploding barbed wire death match? It's something, even though that was on pay per view, obviously not on Dynamite. Did, something about that. Uh, turn some people off, including female viewers. I don't know. Um, but if you look at uh, the showbiz numbers for the last uh, several weeks, it, ha- it has you know gradually declined since the new year, which I which I said earlier. But uh, I I don't know that there's evidence yet that female viewership is declining because of violent matches. Although I'm sure there are anecdotes out there. Um, and then we'll talk about. Uh, so Dynamite this week did a, did a pretty low number, did 700,000 viewers, right? And it did a 0.26 in the demo, which is the lowest number that they have done since the January 6th episode, which of course is going up against a lot of news coverage of, uh, of the Capitol being attacked. So that, that's, uh, that's pretty disappointing, I guess. Um, the total viewership on that January 6th episode was 662, and that is... That is the lowest uh, uh, since the new year. So this is the second lowest of the new year and the second lowest uh, P18 to 49 viewership of the year. So it'll be interesting to see. I think um, on Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, the final night of the Wednesday Night Wars, uh, it's going to be a takeover for NXT. So presumably they have a strong show. They have a lot of big matches to, to put on there. It'll be two nights, of course. So... We could end the Wednesday Night War with uh, with NXT getting its first well getting its first total viewership win uh, in a long time since October twenty eighth. Yes, I know that off the top of my head. The Halloween Havoc episode of NXT was the last time that NXT led in total viewers. Last time that NXT led in eighteen to forty nine aged viewers was, I believe, February not twenty not twenty twenty one February twenty. 20 so more than a year so I, I would guess yeah i would get i would predict nxt probably beats aew in the final night of the of the wednesday night wars in total viewership in uh in p18 to 49 though it would be tough because this week what did nxt do in in 18 to 49 in terms of a rating it did a 0.21 to aew's 0.26 it could do it it could do it i don't know maybe a tie that's a i think that's that's a, that's tough to predict. They might NXT might beat them in both to close out the war, and then they, and then you could have this narrative that yeah, see we were about we were about to take them over at that time, but the, you know the network, you know the politics being what it was, we had to you know let let the NHL get in on there, and it was the best thing for our partners and, and so on and so forth. So 
Well, we were trending to be, you know, uh, overcome the ratings yeah. war. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of uh, ratings and, and viewership, Brandon, you know, it, it, it's that time. It's You can feel it in the air. It's, it's WrestleMania time, right? It's when people kind of garner a little more interest towards wrestling with a common fan and the media. And, you know, it's, it's it, it, even some, you know, people are just getting more excited about. Some people don't watch WWE all, 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 all the year long. And then they start tuning in in January, February, March, leading into WrestleMania to see what's going on. Do you think with it being WrestleMania time, does that generally grow viewership? And I know you got the stats for me. You would think um, January to March in, in a lot of the comparisons that we do for the information that have been, that's been made available uh, through WCC filings uh, when it comes to things like attendance, maybe other consumer sales. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's important to uh, do sort of quarterly comparisons rather than, you know, compare Q1 of this year to Q1 of last year, rather than make like a, a Q1 versus Q4, uh, because there, there, there is a seasonal uh, effect to TW's business. And you would think that in the lead up to the biggest event of the year, by far WrestleMania, that there would be an increase in viewership as that event approaches. Um, and, and, and maybe that's the reason why, why AEW had a low number this week is because you know, viewership was uh, was down because WrestleMania is coming up and people are just more interested in WWE at this time. Uh, viewership for NXT is up this this year, and that that's for sure. Um, <clears throat> so I did some tables here, which I will put in the in the Patreon notebook uh, as well. So I, I sort of asked the question: How often was viewership up from the prior week? And I asked that for all all the programs that we have information on, and um, and I did this across three demos. Total viewership, 18 to 49 age viewers, and the younger 18 to 34 age viewers. And what I see at the moment, so I did, I took um, from February 1st to the last week before WrestleMania. Um, and we're not quite there in 2021, but we're almost there. Um, so NXT is the only program uh, that's showing that kind of, that kind of growth where more often than not, they are up from the prior week. And that's only in 18 to 49 and 18 to 34. So that's not even true for NXT in the case of total viewers. Um, about a third of the time total viewership is up from the prior week for NXT, but for, uh, for 18 to 49, it's, it's up more than 50% for 18 to 34. It's up more than 50, 15%, but that's not the case for raw. Or for SmackDown, although viewership has held pretty steadily for uh, for Raw and for SmackDown during this time, um, so I'm, I'm not seeing that for uh, for Raw for SmackDown, but I am seeing it for NXT. But what about Impact? Uh, Impact is down in 18 to 34, but uh, they don't seem to be down that bad in uh, in total viewership from week to week. So, what about 2020? Did viewership grow as WrestleMania approached in 2020? Uh, it grew for SmackDown. Total viewership did. But for everybody else, it was, uh, you know, less than 50%, but more than 33%. So basically, it, it's sometimes it did, but not that often. And uh, Impact, or I'm sorry, AEW Dynamite did decline more often than not last year as WrestleMania approached. So maybe there's there's something to that. But in years uh, before, so if we go to 2019, if I have it on here, which I don't. But uh, in 2018, nobody grew more often than not, on a week-to-week -week basis for Raw, SmackDown, or Impact even, which we have total viewership numbers for in 2018, not, not 2019, not in those dark pursuit days. We don't have any of those numbers. <laughs> the conclusion I, I take from this is that 
viewership doesn't always consistently grow as WrestleMania approaches, which you would intuitively think is the case. It's not a, a runaway conclusion where you're like, oh yeah, WrestleMania is here and look out because you know it, the, the interest just rises and rises as WrestleMania approaches. That, that doesn't seem to be what happens. So I don't know. All right. Chris Cole, what have you got coming up? So uh, the next uh, for re- rediscovering indies, uh, the next part um, we we do once a month. So the next episode will be released in a few weeks. But it's uh, part two of our XPW uh, uh, deep dive, and believe me, uh, there's a lot to cover here. Uh, interesting thing that you would uh, uh, be interested in, Brandon, uh, that we covered in the first part of the episode was Rob Black uh, running the Los Angeles Sports Arena that fits seventeen thousand people, and he drew on average twelve hundred. So, and he ran it three times <laughs> in 2000. So, yeah. So, uh, if he had WrestleNomics back then, he would probably realize that probably wouldn't have been the best idea. But I do thank everybody uh, who uh, are uh, listeners of this show. Uh, list, we did get some uh, social media uh, um, mentions and people saying, you know, checking out the show. So, thank you guys for listening to us. And uh, that's uh, that's awesome. Like I said, and, and follow social media because every day, you get a This Day in Independent Wrestling History. As we are recording right now, Brandon, did you know that in 1993, Don Morocco defeated the Sandman to win the Eastern Championship Wrestling Heavyweight title? No, I did not know that. The, the, that's the precursor to ECW Eastern Championship yes. Wrestling, right? Yes, it is. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, where can they follow you, Chris Gull? Uh, you can follow me at uh, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Chris Gullup. Uh, no, nothing added there. As far as uh, my other podcasts, RTI Pod on Twitter, the Instagram and Facebook is just rediscovering the indies, all spelled out with no spaces. You can get the notebook to the to various charts and uh, notes that I mentioned on this podcast, as well as access to the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet. You can get access to that for just five dollars a month at patreoncom WrestleNomics. You can follow WrestleNomics at WrestleNomics. You can follow me at Brandon Thurston, and we'll talk to you, everybody. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.